Baptist Church of Gadsden, just a couple blocks over that way, so we're neighbors. And he was very neighborly to me when I moved here last summer. He called me up and said he wanted to meet me and take me to lunch, and we, we had a good time talking uh, together and have a lot of things in common. Uh, on your schedule, it says that we're going to have special music by Benny McNair. We have, uh, Rhonda is filling in for Benny today. Benny didn't, uh, was not able to come, had an unexpected uh, thing come up and was not able to be here. So we're not going to have a special um, music number by, by Benny. You'll have to come some other time and hear Benny. He's amazing on the timetable. So um, without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to Brother Matt. Verses 15 through 19, what we, what we believe, and the best we can tell in Mark's gospel and the other gospels, this is what we believe happened on the Monday of Holy Week, the cleansing of the temple. As you're opening up there, though, I, I want to say what a joy it is to be welcomed here today. Uh, so many familiar faces and new friends as well for me, Sam. And so I knew uh, from the time that Sam and I were spent together in the we text from time to time and that kind of thing. I knew he was a very wise pastor. That's proven to be true because uh, one of the leadership lessons I learned a long time ago was to under-promise and over-deliver. And today is the under-promise, and the rest of the week will be the over-deliver. And so very wise of you, uh, Sam, to kick the week off with a whimper and uh, continue with a bang for the rest of the week. So it is humbling to be able to speak to you here and uh, a, a privilege and an honor to get to be on. So thank you all for taking time out of your busy day and your busy schedule to be here to hear the word of Christ. And uh, what a what an honor and privilege and inspiration it is for me to see to see you here. Well, let's uh, without uh, continuing on here, let's dig into what the Word of God says. I want to remind you that as the words on this page being read, God himself is speaking to you, beginning, uh, beginning in verse 15. Mark writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they came to Jerusalem, and he, being Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished when evening came, they went out of the city. God, would you open our hearts and minds here this afternoon? God, to hear your word, 
receive your word. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would be changed by the power of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My early memories of church as a, as a young boy, I wasn't really old enough to know much at all about the Bible. I wasn't really old enough to know much at all about how church works or what people think about church. Now, I've since been able to be educated on such things, sometimes pleasantly and sometimes unpleasantly. But the reality is I, I know more about how church works and those kinds of things now. But at this point, I, I can remember in, in a way that only a young boy can, observing and hearing about a controversy in the church I grew up in. And uh, the controversy involved a southern gospel quartet that was coming to church. And I realized over time what was going on was it, it, they had been invited to come sing, so that wasn't the problem. Um, some people may be offended by quartet music, but that was not the case in this church. In fact, it was quite the opposite. They loved it. You might be able to guess what the controversy was, though. This quartet uh, had them a bus, and they were going to park it in the parking lot. And the other thing they wanted to do was set up a merchandise table in the vestibule. And so we had a controversy on our hands at the church because we had this Southern Gospel Quartet that was coming. I think some about Southern Gospel Quartets, they are fascinating to me in a lot of ways. They always have really triumphal names. You notice this, Sam? Always really triumphal names. I say, if I ever start a Southern Gospel Quartet, I'm going to give it a more realistic name. I'm going to call it Kind of Trying. And, uh, and so, but yeah, they're always these really triumphal names that they... They have. So anyway, who, who at Conda Trine wanted to set up a uh, booth there in the vestibule or somewhere in the hallway in order to sell their merchandise? Not only they had t-shirts, I think it was uh, CDs. They wanted to sell their CDs. And I can just remember as a very young boy hearing this sort of controversy play out, hearing the commentary, hearing the people talk about whether or not this should be allowed. And so often, this was the proof text. This is meant to be we're about to make it a den of thieves. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There is a chance that if you let a Southern Gospel Quartet set up a merchandise table in your church, there's a chance it has become a den of thieves. But I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that's exactly what this text is talking about. In fact, I, I think if you look at what they're doing here, it, it's really something that's intended to be helpful for the pilgrims who are who are making their way for this Passover festival because it is difficult to bring with them all the things they need to bring. And so you have people here who are, sure, taking advantage of the fact that pilgrims are coming, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure that it's wrong to, for example, allow people to bring a pocket full of money instead of trying to bring a livestock or a cage full of pigeons or whatever else they're bringing with them. And so they're doing a service that helps facilitate the things that are happening during this festival that all of Israel is required to attend. And so what exactly is it that Jesus is so frustrated about? What is it he's angry about? Why is it that Jesus even is uh, compelled to perform this act two times, I believe? We, we see the Passover, the, the, the end of life, end of his ministry, cleansing of the temple here in the Gospel of Mark and also in Matthew and Luke, the other synoptics, and we see a temple cleansing, 
it's from the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John's gospel, John chapter 2, that, that begins his ministry. And so as we look at these things, I think there's enough difference between the synoptic account and John's account that we recognize this is something Jesus did twice. What is it that is driving Jesus? What is it that is compelling Jesus to be so passionate with what he's willing to disrupt and to enrage the authorities around him to this point. What, what is it that is incensing our Lord here? I, I want to show you two truths in this text. Now, I'm, I'm here at First Methodist. I didn't want to be too Baptist and have three points today. I make, I make my sweet people suffer through a full three every Sunday, but I wanted to be uh, blessedly merciful to you here today. So th- those of you who go to First Baptist who are here, uh, this afternoon, don't get used to it, okay? We're going to go back to three on Sunday. Maybe four, it's Easter, you never know. Two truths I want you to see from this text. Two things I, I hope you'll see, and two things that I hope the Lord would use in your hearts uh, as you prepare to worship Christ throughout Holy Week, leading up to Easter. Here's the first thing I, I want you to see in this text. This is Jesus' Temple being a house for all. Jesus is passionate here. Jesus is, is serious here about making sure, ensuring that this house, the temple, is a house for all. Jesus enters the temple and he begins then, Mark tells us, to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written what? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of You take Jesus' phrase there, and you, and you just look at it in kind of three sections. We tend, when we look at this text, to focus on the first section and the last section. Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer? And so we think what Jesus is driving at is that the only sort of thing that ought to happen in the Lord's house, among the Lord's people, let's say, here in the age of the church, is that we ought to come together for holy things. We ought to come together to pray, to do godly things. And I think that's a, 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 a fair understanding of this text, that the primary thing we're about is not commerce. The primary thing we're about is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we say we, we, we make the Lord's house a den of robbers when we don't do that. But I want us to, to focus on this simple phrase that sometimes gets short shrift here. A house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations. Based on the evidence we have in the text, it seems as if the place where these merchants and these money changers were set up is the portion of the temple known as the court of Now, there are places in the temple that were reserved only for Jewish worship, but God designed the temple in such a way. God gave provision in the temple for the nations to come and for for there to be a section of the temple that was specifically for Gentiles to worship God. A place where Gentiles pray. 
And I think it's no mistake that as Jesus is driving them out, he chooses this portion of the prophet Isaiah to quote as he's teaching the people, do you not know that this is my house, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations? What is, what is Jesus driving at? I believe that what he's saying is that you've made worship convenient for you at the expense of others. This is a convenience for faithful Jewish people at the expense of others, and Jesus will not tolerate it. You see, it's so easy for each of us to develop a heart and a mindset that sees us, that sees us as what worship is primarily about. Sam, you've got a good reminder every Sunday as you preach, you get to look right there and be reminded of who worship is about, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus. However, we must consider others in our worship. In fact, isn't that exactly what this season is about? It, it, isn't that exactly what Holy Week, what Easter is about? You see, we must make sure that we are reflecting God's own heart in our worship of Him. You see, worship for the Israelite people, worship for the Jewish people, it was not intended to be the nationalistic experience that they were developing. I never intended this to be something that only they did. Now, there's no doubt that there's God's people. And yet Jesus is reminding them that his Father's house is not a house of trade, and it's not primarily for them, it's primarily for the glory of God. And what Jesus is doing is he is confronting this idolatry of self and pulling people out of their inward, selfish focus and pointing them toward God, and to see God's heart is, is necessarily to see God's heart for the nations. God's desire for all peoples to come to Him through Jesus Christ. Jesus is willing to make clear that God's place is a place for all. But second of all, we also recognize that Jesus is not only making sure that God's house is a house for all, and, 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 then, and then what does Jesus do? He builds a, a new temple with himself as the chief cornerstone, right? And the apostles and the prophets as the foundation, and he builds up living stones as people with the indwelling spirit where he might dwell. And there, those are, that, that, that temple is built of people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Jesus is fulfilling that through his death and resurrection, which we're moving so quickly toward here in Mark's narrative. But second of all, Jesus is also demonstrating an authority for all. An authority for all. Not only a house for all that he's building by his own blood, but also an authority for all. One common response to Jesus throughout the Gospels is an astonishment at the way he teaches. An astonishment at the way he teaches. Because uh, we, we read elsewhere that, that after the Sermon on the Mount, that people were astonished by the Lord. Why? Because he taught them, not as their teachers did, but as one who had authority. I think the people here in this temple here are experiencing a very similar thing. And the chief priests, verse 18, and the scribes heard it, heard what Jesus had said, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. 
And when evening came, they went out of the city. Astonished. You see, you have two responses here. Astonishment, amazement. They're not really sure quite what to do with it, except just to sort of wonder at it. And then you have another response, which is rage and anger. Bear in mind, that's often the response of the truth. Very rarely do we have in our own hearts the proper response to the truth, repentance and faith. Obviously, that's a, a gift from the Lord. That's something only His grace can produce. But here we have one of two things, just sort of wonderment. Are you serious? Who does this guy think he is? And then, are you serious? Who does this guy think he is? You see, everyone loves their autonomy. Everyone loves their independence. We do not like being told what to do. We, we don't enjoy that. Yet, maybe anybody likes to be told what to do. I've got three kids, and I've yet to find one of my children that likes being told what to do. My kids don't line up in the morning and say, all right, Dad, what should we do today? Unless they want me to do something for them. Our youngest son's named Jim, and uh, he's three years old. And um, I always say I've got college savings fund for my two older children and a bail money fund for Jim. <laughs> and Jim went through a phase of his life where he liked to pretend to be different kinds of robots. I think he saw it on a TV show or something. And uh, he, he was just real passionate about being a robot, all kinds of different robots. And uh, Lydia's here. She works in the nursery, and I think Miss Peggy's here somewhere. Y'all remember Jim's robot phase? Yeah, they've, they've suffered through this. Pray for your nursery workers, if you don't already. At one point, Jim was a blasting robot. Going around blasting things. At one point, he was a throwing robot. Imagine how that went. You imagine give the, uh, uh, a throwing robot his lunch. What do you think he does with it? Throws it. And you can't get onto him. Why? He's a throwing robot. What do you expect him to do? It's in his DNA. My least favorite robot was a chomping robot. Caused all kinds of problems with brother and sister, with all kinds, just all kinds of problems with chomping robots. But you know, I, I noticed something about the pattern of my son. He was never an obedient. We never hit that phase. So, hey, you know what I am? You're a naturally obedient robot. Whatever you do, I'm going to say. Why? I'm a robot. I have to do that. That's programmed in. No, none of us are programmed to do what we're supposed to do. None of us are programmed to do what we're supposed to do. We need God's grace to do that. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus is invading people's territory. And I'll tell you something. We do not like having our territory you see, he is confronting the idolatry of the religious people of the day, and he is confronting the Pharisees and the leaders' territory when he begins to show them that they're not the ones in control, that it is his Father who is in control, and that all authority in heaven and earth has been what? Given to him, the Son. And what Jesus is doing is he is confronting the idolatry of the people, and he is demonstrating to them that he has authority over all things. And he does it in a way that's fierce. He, he does it in a way that is disregarding. 
Jesus knows what sort of rage is being produced as he demonstrates the authority of God that he's given him. And so what Jesus is doing is confronting idolatry, enraging the Pharisees, cleansing the temple, and he's doing all of that in order that we might receive the gospel. Because as the Gospel of Luke tells us, Jesus had set a face like Flint toward Jerusalem where he would die. And so Jesus is pressing on so that not only his people, the Jewish people, and not only his disciples, but so that people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, in every era, in every age, forever and ever and ever until he comes back again, can hear and know Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and God raised him from the dead in order that we can have new life in him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was willing to confront these things. He was willing to walk this path so that we might receive the gospel. And that gospel, that good news, is a gospel Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his blood that is shed for us. And Lord, my prayer is that that would be our focus this week. As we move towards Easter, I pray, God, that we would reflect on our Lord Jesus Christ, who set his face like flint toward saving his people. It's in Christ's name we pray.